Hey, Cracked fans. We are so excited to be welcoming our friends at Turna back to this show as a supporting sponsor moving forward. Now, of course, all of you tennis fans know Turna Tennis for their world-famous Turna grip, that iconic purple-colored grip you see on the rackets of so many different professional tennis players. But did you also know that they make the tackiest grip in the world? That's right, folks, the brand-new Turna Tennis Mega Tack Grip. It's the tackiest grip on the market. It starts tacky and, simply put, stays tacky longer than any other grip you'll find out there and if you tell your opponent what do i use on my racket i use the mega tack you're going to be attacking with that mega tack from start to finish if you've seen anything we do at cracked rackets you know i'm a hairy guy as you can imagine i sweat when i play the only grip that works for me is the turn of tennis grip of course the mega tack taking things to the next level how can you get yourself hooked up with a turn of grip today it's simple you're going to either find it wherever you buy your tennis goods or you can email them directly by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. That's sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets sent you in the email. We would greatly appreciate that as they let you, them know that we sent you there. But more importantly, you get a free sample and they'll treat you as family moving forward. Again, you email sales at uniquesports.com. You mentioned Crack Rackets. You get the free sample. You get hooked up with our friends at Turner. Once you use a Turner Grip, you're never going to turn anywhere else. Of course, again, ask them about the mega tack the tackiest grip on the market contact sales at uniquesports.com and get started with our friends at turn to tennis today welcome to hey great shot this is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We're going to launch a new show here this week that you can expect each and every week throughout the remainder of the 2022 college tennis season. Now, those of you who follow our content beyond just our podcast know that we've been able to dive headfirst into the broadcasting space this season. We are so fortunate to be able to have Red Zone broadcasts every week, every Friday. We broadcast all of the action happening across the SEC college tennis world. That action is able to be found on each and every team website in the SEC conference. Of course, on Sundays, we broadcast all of the Big Ten action, and you can follow that broadcast on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel to help supplement all of that action. And perhaps there are some of you who haven't been a fan of the college tennis world for a long period of time. You're just dipping your toes into that space We want to help contextualize the broadcast that we're doing each and every week, help you learn a little bit more about each of the teams you're going to see on our various shows. With that in mind, what we'll be doing each and every week throughout the remainder of this season is breaking down all of the SEC, all of the Big Ten action that has happened each and every week. Talk about who are the teams thriving at the top, who are the teams in the NCAA tournament contention, who are the teams that are underperforming and will need to turn around their season, of course, here in mid-March. It's still early enough to do just that. That's something we want to talk about each and every week. We'll talk about the standout performers as well. Any storylines that emerge throughout the season, we'll try to cover on these weekly recaps as well. And if you're going to be talking SEC tennis, there is only one 
person in the country you can turn to to help you navigate that ship. He is the man joining us on today's show, a man you know from many of our Crack Rackets podcasts, a man you know best as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions, never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames, the snitch, the professor, Greg Maddox post-prime, it's my friend, and our SEC Crack Rackets correspondent, Chris Hallioris. Chris, did I make this show just to keep you happy? Maybe, but it is a pleasure to have you as always. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm not sure how keeping me happy means consuming yet another hour or two of my life every week, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing good and happy to be here. Oh, it is always a pleasure to see you. I figured if I'm going to take another hour of your time, at least let it be the thing you truly love talking above all else. That, of course, SEC tennis. And I know many of you will have heard from Chris on our various podcasts. But for those of you that don't know, his nephew, Trevor Fauché, was a part of those outstanding Mississippi State teams from, what, 2017 to 2019, I want to say, or 2016 to yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, right. 2016 to 19, yeah. yeah. Yeah, right around that range, point being he, Nuno Borges, Strali, Nick Braun, the class that comes in together to Starkville, has all of the success that they do as such. Chris has been ensconced on the SEC tennis beat for, I would say, five, six years now. Certainly knows the conference as well as anyone. Of course, I'm going to ask him throughout the course of these shows to flex his formula muscles as well. He's going to be the one who keeps us updated on which teams are in the NCAA race not only, of course, for a spot in the tournament, but at you, as you look at the top of the conference, who are the teams in top 16 contention? Are there any teams in top 8 contention who might be able to host one of those Sweet 16 super regional matches? Because, of course, those are the things we are all wondering here at Crack Rackets as we watch this college tennis season unfold. Of course, before we get to all of the SEC action, and I know this is a lot of talking very quickly at the start, I promise I will pace myself as we go through the rest of this show. Just worth reminding all of you listeners that the reason we're able to do this day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you, because of the support we get from our Crack Rackets Patreon family. Of course, for this show in particular, I have to give a huge thank you to the SEC Conference. I have to give a huge thank you to our Crack Rackets CEO, Dalton Thieneman, as well. He has a real job, folks, not related to Crack Rackets. Not that what we and me and Westoff do isn't a real job, but he has a job outside of CR and yet the amount of hours he spent on the phone coordinating and speaking with each SEC coach, with the SEC administration to make our broadcast happen. I haven't given him the shout out he deserves yet. Wanted to do that here at the start of this show, but a huge thank you to the SEC for offering us this opportunity to try to bring college tennis a little bit closer to all of you college tennis fans, of course. Last but certainly not least, a huge thank you to our friends at Turner who are back here supporting this Crack Rackets podcast moving forward, of course. You all know Turn to Grip. Countless college tennis players use it. Professional tennis players use it. I am sure there are people who use it at your local clubs, at your local parks. It's because it's the best in the business, folks. That iconic blue-purple grip you see on the butts of so many rackets. If you would like to join the Turner family today, and it's not just grips, by the way. It's strings and so much more. You can contact them by emailing sales at uniquesports.com. You let them know Cracked Racket sent you. Not only will you get a bunch of free merch, they'll hook you up with discounted prices, Treat you like family. Contact sales at uniquesports.com. Let them know our Cracked Rackets team sent you. With all of that said, 
Chris, I promise I'm going to let you speak here because I want to talk about all the action that's happening across the SEC conference. And in particular, because you look at the rankings, certainly on the men's side over the last few seasons last year, it was highlighted more than anything else. There was a strong SEC bias. And I think we can admit to that strong SEC bias here on an SEC show because it was a great thing for the conference on the men's side. And you saw how many teams was it last year off the top of my head. Florida made it. Georgia made it. Tennessee made it. Mississippi made it. Mississippi State all make it to the Sweet 16. You let me know if I'm forgetting any team there as well on the men's side, of course. Last year on the women's side, the story was more the ACC conference, but as always, Texas A&M's in the hunt. Georgia, always a top contender. I think they only lose two matches throughout the course of the season to UNC early in the year. Uh, And then, of course, I think they end up dropping their match uh, at the NCAA tournament uh, to NC State as well. So, you know, their two losses are to two semifinal teams. The SEC has always been exceptional at tennis, and that exception, you know, that exceptional nature is perhaps seen most pronounced at the top. I want to start with the men's uh, in this particular category because you look right now at the latest iteration of the ITA rankings, perhaps most notably, and we're recording this here on Wednesday, so the newest poll came out here today. It's Florida who's sitting right now at the top of the men's rankings. You look right now, the Gators, number one, that comes off of an SEC season that has already seen them earn wins over Tennessee, over Georgia, over Kentucky, over South Carolina, who are all top 16 teams right now. All of those matches come indoors as well. You look for the Florida Gators, 11-2 overall. Their loss is 4-3 to TCU, 4-3 to Texas. Again, both indoor matches. But more particularly, you look over the course of those four SEC matches. Ben Shelton and Sam Riffis have each won at least four matches in a row, but they've won four consecutive at the top. You add in you know, the Andrade Valley senior commodities that certainly when we get outdoors become that much more dangerous. Seymour, Bonetto, Gujer. Lucas Greif in a pinch. We know they have options at the bottom of their lineup as well. My question to you as we start this conversation, should they be the number one team in the country right now? And, you know, by ranking A, B, in your mind, Chris Halioris, I want some subjective opinions here, have they started to look like the best team in the country? Because I think it's two different answers. Yes. The answers are no and yes. Yes. Uh, I agree with you. I mean, no, they don't, they, based on what they've done, they don't deserve to be number one. Ohio state deserves to be the number one team. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's any question there. Do I think that's going to be the way it plays out in May? And am I backing off my Florida's going to win it all again prediction? No, I still think Florida wins it all, but I don't think they deserve to be the number one team right now. You know, the, and the funny thing, you mentioned that they're number one in this week's poll and, and, you know, my and back ahead of been, TCU, which of course TCU, I, I coach TCU David Rodini but, will love. But, but the site has been rolled over to the projected rankings for next week, which A, take into account uh, the fact that teams move positions. So the credit you get for beating teams are now based off this week's ranking. Sure. Uh, and the fact that we move to six wins next week instead of five without even playing matches yet this week, Florida's number three next week now. <laughs> so so we go to Ohio State, TCU, Florida State as one, two, three in a super, super tight battle between those three before anybody, you know, gets anything done. Well, actually, I can't say before anybody gets anything done. Ohio State did play 
Texas A&M last night, and that's reflected. But uh, but yeah, they're you know they do draw behind TCU, who hasn't done anything with material this week. Yeah, so that's the answer to Part A, and I appreciate you explaining that. And I do want to say right now, Gators in control because they've beaten the top four teams. And yeah, they certainly were the beneficiaries of no Toby Samuel, no Connor Thompson, the two and three singles players for South Carolina in their 7-0 win at home. But they go on the road, they beat Kentucky indoors, a fully healthy Kentucky team with Diallo in the lineup. He now has a boot on his foot. Obviously, how that impacts Kentucky moving forward, we can talk about in a second. But that was a fantastic win from Florida. Certainly no Johannes Monday for Tennessee. Didn't matter. Gators got the job done. And then, obviously, you look at that match against Georgia. Indoors is where the Bulldogs want them. And yet, you know, Georgia had their chances. Florida manages to hold on. You look from a match perspective for this team because Sam Riff has struggled to start the season. Eight and four overall, which means at one point he was four and four this season. And all those losses have come at the number one spot. But he's back at number two. And he's 4-0 overall. You look for Ben Shelton, number one in the latest iteration of the NTA of the ITA individual rankings, your ITA All-American champion, Kalamazoo finalist, futures winner, all of this momentum coming into the start of the season. He's now 10-2 overall, but he's won four consecutive matches at the number one single spot. So we knew coming into the season that Shelton with his rise and his fall performances, Riffis, your defending NCAA champion, Volley, top 10 All-American last year. We thought at the start of the year their top three would be that good. You look in their losses. Against TCU, they lose at number one and two singles. Against Texas, they lose at one, two, and three singles. When I ask you part B of that question, are they starting to look like the best team in the country? Well, Riffis looks like Riffis again. Shelton gets up for all the big matches. Walton, Draxel, Rodriguez, Stewart, he wins all of them at the number one spot in the pressure-packed moments on the road when his team needs him in three of those four wins. I don't even care that, you know, they still need to figure out some things at the bottom between Seymour, Goodger, Bonetto. I don't care that Vale has played, you know, quite poorly by his standards. And you look at the records right now, Duarte Vale, 6-4 and and 4-3 and at the number three single spot because all those matches were indoors. The key to me is that 1-2 and are starting to look like the 1-2 and best players in the country. And that is where things start for the Gators. And I think, you know, now that we are reminded that they have that, they have the depth to figure out the rest. Yeah, it's it's not only that, but you, you're absolutely right at one and two. I mean, but Shelton and Riffis have looked outstanding recently, and it's not against poor competition either, right? I mean, they're playing top-notch competition, and they have come around and looked like what you expect. But I'll add to that that you almost feel like they're like, and the doubles has come around. Yeah, I mean, which is the one thing that you, you know, it's always a crapshoot with the Florida doubles, and they're just winning doubles. Uh, against some good doubles teams now. Uh, and if they're going to win the doubles points and, and granted you get, I'll th- throw the South Carolina, South Carolina doubles is good. Throw that match out because they were missing, you know, they had to completely jumble all the doubles pairings, but, but even since then, right against Tennessee, you know, Tennessee, no Monday. Yes. There are lots of caveats, but they're winning the doubles points. They need to win. They're playing well there. And then when you look at what Riffis and Shelton are doing, it's, yeah, it's like three points there. Sure, they're going to easily find one more. I mean, they're going to find two more. So, uh, yeah, they they really have started to look what look like what we expected 
all along. Frankly, it's it's actually shocking that you say Shelton's 10 and 2 because it felt like I couldn't agree more against Rodash <laughs> and against uh who do you play Bailey like and against the first Yeah, half, I couldn't agree first more. Half the two thirds of the dual match season. Yeah. It was so so and and that's and I think part of that includes the fact that even when he's winning, you wa- if you actually sit and watch his matches, it looks like it's, you're watching the match going, he's going to win. He may let this guy go three sets with him, but he's going to win. And and he does, but he didn't against Bailey at indoors, right? And, uh, you know, you just, you, you can't get too complacent and let guys hang around with you because somebody's going to jump up and bite you. But he clearly looks like the best player on the court. And I had one of the, uh, an SEC coach tell me recently, this guy's going to be top 20 ATP someday. Mark my words, he will be top 20 ATP. He just, he has everything and the it factor that's completely intangible, you know, with, without respect to skill. He's just got it all. He was two points away from beating Vandesenschkulp, who's now top 50 in the world. Like, come on now. Like, I agree with you. It's it's ridiculous. Or Right, it was Vandesenschkulp, I think, yeah, in, yep. in the qualifying. Yeah, yeah and the so, open, open qualifying. again, yep. that was way too long on Florida. I apologize. I'm excited, folks. We're not going to do that every week. They are number one in the country. They are your defending NCAA champs. Last question on them quickly. Vale and Drade are going to be playing three and four. Seymour, Goodger, Benetto, give me your order you expect to see come May. As of right now, I, if I had to guess, I, I think Goodger's out. I mean, unless Goodger starts doing something, he's not shown it. I mean, he was undefeated last year, hasn't shown it that yet this year. Benetto is going to be a hard guy to keep out of the lineup. I think, you know, he's worked his way to where they've made that a tough decision for him. I think as of now, it's Seymour and Benetto, and it's it's and Goodger's the fill-in guy. Seymour, 14-4, and 5-1 and one in dual matches. Benetto, 18-4, and 5-1 uh, and one in dual matches. Goodger, 8-9, and 2-2 two and two in dual matches. Here's the thing. Goodger was undefeated at six singles last season, so that's a choice to watch for the number one team. All right, we're going to do this quickly on the men's side, and then we're going to get to the top uh, at the for the women. You look, uh, again, I think it's a pretty ensconced top five. They're all top 16 teams. Start here with this question. Tennessee, South Carolina, Georgia, Kentucky. All locks to be top 16 seeds at this point? Yes. No matter what? I mean, barring like roof, you know, or ceiling floor, there it is, falling from beneath under them and they lose out. Like, uh, short of that, they're, even if they lose once, twice to the Vanderbilts or the Mississippi, Mississippi states of the world, they're still fine. Yeah, I mean, I... Th- between Georgia and Kentucky, I think there's always a possibility. But, I mean, Georgia really helped themselves with the South Carolina win. And the um, win over Texas. Uh, yeah, I, I, it's going to be tough to knock them out. You know, Kentucky, they might, you know, they might need to do something. But I still, it's going to be so hard for teams to get around them with everybody that they play in the SEC. It would, it would almost be not because of them, but because the rest of the SEC wins got cheapened if that were to happen. But sure. I don't if, think it's so. Be even if they now. beat up on each other, and a lot of them have played already, but it's it should still be fine. Exactly. What they need yeah. is for they need for somebody to they need a bunch of teams to not drop and only leave one or two good. But if all the rest of those teams beat beat up on each other and kind of hang around that top thirty ish range, then Kentucky gets plenty of points out of that. All right. So we're going to do this quickly. Still, in, are they going to be a top eight seed or no? As of right now, 
Tennessee loses without Monday twice this weekend. We're going to save them for the deciding point, and we're going to talk about that Tennessee-South Carolina match, I promise, with Matt the Cracks to Koyak Thursday, 9 p- uh, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, excuse me, live on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. We're saving the broader Tennessee discussion for that, I promise. Right now, even those losses, Monday, let's say he's out for two more weeks. If they go 2-2 two and two over that stretch, top eight seeds still in play for them, lock or no? Yes. Uh, in play, yes. Lock, no. In play, yes. Okay. South Carolina, lock, in play, or neither? Uh, oh, n- now we're getting tight. I mean, I don't think they're a lock. They're, they're all, they are in as of right now, but they're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to hold serve, if you will, to, to keep it. But yeah, they should be in as well. And that's why that Tennessee win was huge. Georgia, in play or out? I mean, oh, they're in play. It gets tough. They are the eight seed right now. Right. They're they're eight this week. They're eight projected next week uh, as of right now. So they're in. But, um, you know, that's the one that's still I mean, those wins over Texas and South Carolina were just huge for them. Uh, They're in crazy to think the SEC has got four of the top eight right now. And it could hard to imagine that it ends that way. You would think it ends up with three, but it, it could be four. Yeah, no, I don't think that's an unfair assessment. Now, uh, again, Kentucky, in or out? Out. I, from a top eight, I, yeah. I'd say out. Right? And they're going to have to come up with something, you know, SEC really, really final special. run. Something crazy. Yeah, well, and they've got, that, they've got that Virginia match still, which, you know, if they win that and Virginia takes care of business the rest of the way, that could be huge. But, but barring basically running the table from here out, they're out. All right, we're going to switch gears now, talk about uh, the top of the women's SEC conference. And you look right now, you know, huge, huge victory. And I'm curious if your rankings already reflect it for Georgia over Ohio State. Here's why. Georgia, that was their 10th match of the season. Now, they were 7-2 with their only two losses, 4-3 to Virginia, 4-3 to NC State at the National Indoors. Those are two of the top 10 teams in the country. There's no shame in those losses for a team with young pieces in Riasco, in Vita Manova. And I'm actually, I started the season out on the on the Georgia team because I just hadn't seen Vidmanova play. And, you know, Riasco's good, but to replace Jokic, I just thought it was going to be Im- immensely impossible to do. And then I saw Vidmanova play, and the combination of her and Riasco with Liam up top, you're like, oh, no, they've got it because now Kowalski and, you know, Kopik can still stay in the bottom three of the lineup. Hurdles performed well as well. And, I mean, again, 4-0 victory for them indoors over number four, Ohio State, massive for the conference. Here's why. You look right now, there is not a single SEC women. Excuse me, there's one SEC women's team in the top 10. It's Auburn, who makes the national indoor final 16 field, is 12-2, and two, and we'll talk about them in a second, as they certainly have some opportunities ahead of them, but not a team you had on your preseason list as a surefire top 10 team. Texas A&M was a team you had on that list. Now, they're 18-1. They lose 4-3 at the indoors to Cal, go 2-1 at the event, but their wins over ODU and USC are just not going to compete with some of the wins put up by the Ohio State's Dukes, Pepperdines of the world. So they right now are outside the top t- uh, 10, currently A&M at number 12. At number 15 is Georgia, but they are going to move up. And obviously with that Ohio State win, I'm curious how high. But again, right now, Georgia 15, Florida at 9-4, and four, who got knocked off by Georgia last weekend, but, you know, bounced back with a good win over Tennessee. You know, they're at 16. So you've got four teams right now, Florida, Georgia, A&M, Auburn, all NCAA hosts. 
A, how has Georgia moved up? B, let's play that game again. Do they have anyone right now in contention for a top eight seed? So with the win today, Georgia projected up to number 10 as of right now. Okay, so Um, that's still not great. It's not, it, yeah, it's not into the top eight, but but by and large, that's just because they don't have the wins that everybody else has, right? We're moving next week, we moved to six countable wins. They've got three great wins in the top 20, right? They've got Ohio State, Florida, Washington, all top 20 teams that they've got wins over. After that, it's a huge drop. It goes to South Carolina at 45. Who's looked Old frisky Miss. of late, but was really injured at the start of the season and took a bunch yeah, of losses. And, and they could really use them to move up. And they've they've looked better, like yeah. you said. Old Miss down in the 60s and Mississippi State in the 60s. So they just don't have that depth in the, in the quality wins. Assuming that they can get some of that in the SEC season, then yes, it just gets better for them. Yeah, so I want to talk about Kentucky and Vanderbilt and how they've struggled to start the season, the Mississippis as well, in a second. But, you know, it's interesting because Tennessee's right now top 30, but, you know, with the loss to Florida, the loss, I think, also to A&M this past weekend, or they had one more loss. I forget who it was to. I believe it was to A&M. You can fact check me there, Chris, if you don't mind. South Carolina and Florida. This uh, South Carolina was who it was. Thank Florida. you. South Carolina and Florida. That's tough for them in terms of top 16 contention. My issue with Georgia is that the margin feels very thin for them to make a top eight push because yeah certainly they'll have the opportunities and if they run the table wins over Florida A&M Auburn the Washington win as well you throw in a win over an Auburn or an, or an Alabama or an Arkansas or whomever two of the next highest SEC ranked teams are a Tennessee whomever it may be if they do that they're probably around six to ten but that's still not a lock. And it's like if Virginia gets a win over UNC, if Duke gets a win over Virginia, you know, or something like that, then maybe the ACC gets three top eight seeds. You feel like Oklahoma's a lock to get a top eight seed. But if Texas beats them, now they're in the conversation. Stanford, I don't know if they can get the ranked wins, but they're going to try and make a push as well. It's crowded. Ohio State, obviously. Michigan's left on the board for them. They have some, you know, that Pepperdine win's going to appreciate well. I feel like Georgia has to run the table, and that's where I feel like it's tough for the SEC women this year that Georgia went 1-2 and at the indoors, and Auburn played well but couldn't quite beat Ohio State in that final match. Florida, same deal, played well, couldn't quite get the win over Ohio State or Virginia. That could come back to bite them when it's top eight seed time. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Yeah, I mean, look, they've got they they got one non-conference match left, which is Georgia Tech, uh, and it's at Georgia Tech, which could help. I mean, they're in the 30s right now. That you know, it, by the time you count nine wins, that's probably one of the one of the ones they count. But of everything they've got left, because they've played most of those top teams, they finish at Auburn. Okay, and then they've got 
you know, they've got ten. Their next match is at Tennessee, but they've got A and M on the twenty seventh. That A and M match and that Auburn match feel it feels like those are the only two that need to. I mean, those should be the only questionable ones. If they don't win everything else, forget it. They need to win everything else, and at least one of those two. I don't know that they need to run the table, but I think if they win all everything but and they split the A and M and Auburn matches, and that to some extent depends on what Auburn does. I mean, I'm, I think Auburn, yeah, Auburn's really highly ranked right now, but I think is one of the teams that's up there that's more susceptible to potentially a little bit of a fall. So um, that's the one to watch if I may jump in because Auburn's 12-2, and two, and you look for them again at the kickoff weekend, 4-3 over Arizona State, 4-0 over a banged up, but still that's a really good win at UCF in Orlando. National indoors, 4-2 loss to NC State, Two singles wins, no shame in that. 4-3 loss to Ohio State, no shame in that either, although they did take the doubles point. You look at their records, other than a 6-6 six and six record at the number one spot, they're pretty good everywhere. You know, 11-2 at three. 10 and 3 at 4 and 6, 10 and 4 at 2, 9 and 4 at 4, 8 and 4 at 1 doubles, 7 and 3 in 2 doubles, 9 and 3 at 3 doubles. Overall, again, 24 and 10 in doubles. It's pretty damn good. They're solid everywhere, but you do look for them. Again, wins over Vanderbilt uh, and Kentucky teams that have really struggled to start the season. Now, at Alabama this past weekend, might be their most impressive win to date, but they've still got at AM, at Florida, Tennessee and Georgia on the list uh, on the on the schedule. They have to go at least two and two, right, to be a top sixteen seed in those four matches. Yeah, I, I was going to say. I mean, that right now that that's a team that you're looking at, and that they're not thinking top sixteen; they're thinking top eight because they're sure. you know they're there now, right? But I think that's a really well. Tough if ask. they run the table, they would be top eight, so they're also in at- that position. Absolutely. But if you ask me to put my money down on the table today and say, where are they? They're not in the top eight or by the end of the season. Right. I mean, they've, to your point, they've gotten a lot of these wins, but I mean, they're, they're getting, you know, they're getting closer wins than what you want to see out of a top eight against teams. They probably should be beating easier and yeah, they're getting the job done. But I, but, but as you said, when they start, when they get, the, you know, the Georgia and the Tennessee and the Florida and the Texas A&M, it's going to get real. Right. And, and you lose, you, you split those matches and yeah, top 16, absolutely. Top eight, probably not with a split there. Uh, yeah. I, they're going to have to do more than that. So Here's the thing. So they, I, they don't beat anyone cleanly because they're kind of a, let's show up and see who's playing their best on any given day. And that's what's so strong about them is they have the options. And Yu Chen at six, who was top half of the lineup last year, she has been so good at the number six single spot this year. Ariana Arsenault, who comes over from Georgia, she is fit in like a hand in a glove at that number two single spot, has been great for the Tigers. Again, you know, Ansari, 9-0 at the three single spot, and I think Axon's been pretty good. Flack's been pretty good. Now, none of them have been exceptional, right? They don't have a Vidmanova at three or a Makarova at two or, you know, one of those lock of locks, but they're in the mix and on every court, and that's why they're so interesting is they've also played a ton of 4-3 matches. I apologize. Didn't mean to cut you off, but like, again, the sleeping giant is Texas A&M. Because if a line call goes differently, 5-4, third set breaker, number six singles, national indoors, first round, or round of 16. If that line call goes differently against Cal and they win that match, I swear to God they beat Pepperdine the next day. 
And you look at this team. Makarova has just been freaking lights out for them uh, throughout the course of this season. And you look for Makarova this year, 13-0 and in dual matches. Gianna Pilot, the... Uh, P, uh, pilot the freshman is 13 and 3 Mar- Mary Stoyana 13 and 1 JC Goldsmith 13 and 2 they haven't played the toughest schedule but they're experienced the freshmen are earning a lot of wins and confidence early of course Brandstein is always a threat to win the match at one this team's ridiculous at doubles 38 and 4 overall here in the dual match season I, I, I agree with you. I don't mean to be disrespectful to Auburn. I do think this matchup comes down, uh, this this conference at top at, for that number eight seed. I think whoever wins Georgia, Texas A&M, and maybe they split between the conference tournament and the regular season, and maybe that is what propels both of them to top eight seeds. But I think whoever wins that first one is the more likely to be the top 18. Uh, you know, again, I think you got to go 2-0 and probably to be a top eight seed. Yeah, look, I mean, yeah, again, like you said, not to be disrespectful to Auburn, but if they're going to do it, they're going to earn it because they finished the year, right? I, I'll say, and with South Carolina coming on, I think they're still a dangerous team. If you throw LSU out, that's a, that's a, that's a match you just have to win, right? You know, forgetting LSU. But it doesn't happen until April for them. Starting April 1st, they go A&M, throw out the LSU match, South Carolina, Florida, Tennessee, Georgia. They've got the the heavy SEC teams all stacked to the end of the year. And, you know, again, if you're going to run, if you run the table or you lose only lose one of those matches, by all means, you deserve to win the conference. You deserve to be a top eight seed. Uh, And you've done it. The likelihood of doing that against that kind of lineup stacked in your last five to six matches of the year is really tough. I'm with you. A&M, I think, as you said, that's the team you got to really watch out for. With Brandstein at the top, they they don't have that same kind of of stacked schedule. Yes, they still have to play Auburn, and yes, they still have to play Georgia, and they get those matches back to back. But you know they're going to finish the year at LSU, Arkansas, Missouri. Not nearly the juggernaut that that. Uh, you know, Auburn's going to have to face to close the year. Absolutely. And with that said, let's move on to that next tier of teams and let's talk about the race for the NCAA tournament. And, you know, I am going to start working every week to, you know, maybe we'll do weekly updates on the UTRs for all of these teams as well. But right now, let's start on the women's side. How many teams right now, NCAA cutoff, Chris? A, what is that ranking usually? B, again, for these SEC women, how many of them right now are within the cutoff line? Uh, so for next week's projections, nine in, South Carolina is the last in at 41. Uh, and then and that number is usually in the 42 to 44 range. They're last in at 41, you know, projected at 41 next week. They're 45 this week, but already projected up. And, and Kentucky would be the first out uh, at 53. So quite a big, quite a big drop there. Kentucky, Old Miss, Mississippi State, Missouri, LSU out, everybody else uh, in. And I think you could, you know, it, Missouri and LSU, uh, you know, it's hard to make a case to find a way that they, they could get in no matter what. Kentucky, old Kentucky, eh. Kentucky yes, had a really did. tough weekend, and I'm going to talk about this on our women's deciding point with Jay in a, in a second. But they lose to Missouri at home 4-3. They had taken the doubles point. They got three first sets. Tough loss for them from a freshman at six. And I mean that happens, but they're in trouble right now. Like Kentucky, 
there and LSU it's funny because I think LSU beat them as well or LSU beat someone recently this weekend and you look for this LSU team who hasn't had six players in the majority of the matches that they've played they beat Mississippi State yeah oh yeah that's who they beat yeah again for the Mississippi teams Ole Miss is hovering around 500 after a promising start their season in the kickoff weekend and Mississippi State who's got some veterans and has some talent they have struggled here early as well I mean, Vanderbilt struggled early here in SEC play. Arkansas and Alabama have thrived. I know as we look around the women's side, and I actually think they are pretty— like, they could lose to all of those teams we discussed around the top 16, right? Auburn, A&M, Georgia, Florida, and I think they'd be fine. Alabama and Arkansas have already—you know, for them, you know, Arkansas to beat Vanderbilt at Vanderbilt, what a win for them early in the season— like, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel pretty comfortable about those teams. The ones who I think need to turn it around, and that's something I wanted to talk about as well, are Vanderbilt and Kentucky. And can you look at the Vanderbilt schedule for me, Chris, as well? Because they, to me, are a team that's in serious trouble. Because I think they've already lost two matches here in conference play, at least two. It might have been three. Actually, I, I have the men's stats in front of me. I, I need to pull up the women's, but I believe they have already lost a couple of matches here in conference play. Yeah, they lost. They lost to Arkansas. They lost to Alabama. They that lost was the Auburn. other one. But yeah, so they lost both of the Alabama swing, and then they lose to Arkansas this past weekend. I mean, Auburn being and, top and ten, now, whatever. And now they're and their next match is at A and M. That's what I'm saying. It's just like it's it's gauntlet. They're gonna have to play catch up. The last there's gonna be a lot of pressure on them those last four weeks, right? They pretty much have to sweep. Can I mean they should beat the Mississippis, but now they have to beat. The Mississippis. They should beat Kentucky. They have to beat Kentucky. And that matchup with Tennessee for them, that's like you win it, you're probably in comfortably. You lose it, SEC tournament gets interesting. Yeah, that's the second to last weekend for them is at Tennessee at Georgia. Uh and that's a that that's a that's a tough one. But yeah, they don't have an easy schedule left. They've still got AM, they've still got Georgia, they've still got Tennessee, they've still got Florida. And all and Florida out of all of those is the only home match. Yeah. Everything else is on the road. It's tough for the Commodores this season, who are not that far removed. And I was looking at I think only five teams in conference history have won uh, multiple or have won conference championships. I think they're one of only three teams to have won more than one. And like they're not that far removed from that. Obviously, new head coach. It's a new era, but. You know, again, it's weird to see Vanderbilt losing matches the way that they have. All right, let's flip gears. And again, I really actually do want to give a ton of credit to the starts we've seen from Alabama and Arkansas. You look uh, for this Alabama team, what they've been able to accomplish here in SEC play. 4-0 win over Kentucky, 5-2 win over Vanderbilt, really tight 5-2 loss uh, against Auburn at home. Now, again, they've still got the juicy stuff, you know, A&M, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, all four of their five last matches, but they've beaten who they've supposed to beat. The win against Vanderbilt helps as well. Now, they've got the Mississippi swing this weekend but if they clean up against the Mississippi teams they have pretty much locked themselves a spot in the NCAA tournament because they'll have beaten pretty much everyone they're supposed to beat uh you look for this Arkansas team again for them to get the win over Vanderbilt second straight season for them with a win over Vandy and then they beat Kentucky at home you know that's what you have to do and yeah I think they dropped the match this past weekend I believe uh I forget whom it was. To. Oh, no, no, that was Alabama. Excuse me. When you look for this Arkansas team, though, again— Yeah, they won at Andy and at Kentucky this year. Yeah, again, it's just— they are both 
NCAA tournament caliber teams. They are both, and obviously Arkansas, new head coach for reasons that had nothing to do with on-court performance, but that has carried over into Coach Sanchez Quintanar's first season. We haven't talked about Tennessee. Tough weekend for them, but I mean, again, they've got depth everywhere from, you know, Mertena all the way through to Kutzer and whatever you want to do. I think this Tennessee team's really good. Let's flip gears, though. Talk about the men's teams right now. And, you know, when you look at the rankings, Chris, who's in, who's out? Uh, right now, you're, you're you still got three out uh, w- with the loss this weekend. It's funny they they picked up an, actually a good win, but LSU is the first team out now. LSU. So let's talk about them for a second. Mississippi State, but they turn around and beat Ole Miss five two. I think they're good. Ronnie Holman, who's top fifty in the country and eight and five this year, five and three in dual match play at one. He's just solid. And then you get Lobach from Minnesota, who you know I think lost to Mississippi State, but you know has played good tennis here uh, this season. Lobach, well six and seven overall, but puts you in the mix in the top spot. Ken Taylor's been like excellent. Ken Hunter. Or Hunter. Hunter I say Taylor. Good. Hunter is, he is, expl- like the ball just flies off of his racket. He has weapons. And I, you know, you look for uh, Hunter right now, 11 and 1 here in dual match play. I agree. He's been the best player in their lineup. Yeah. And he's a kid. You you, you go to look him up and you're like, where did he come from? Uh, yeah, Fresno you know, nothing, State, right? There's nothing, uh, you know, there's very little on him out there. He well, was, isn't his dad, and I say this lovingly. Isn't his dad on Twitter like one of the guys, one of the personalities you see? I forget who it is, but I think I think they're related. I think there's some Twitter connection here for Kent Hunter. But yeah, comes over from Fresno State and he's been killing it. Gabriel Diaz in his fifth year, 12 and 2 in dual match play. He's been killing it. Kozlov's been solid at five. Still got to figure out six, but they've been pretty good there. Like they've been solid. Sorry, I cut you off. Vanderbilt's uh, 31 in the country right now. You know my thoughts on them. They've just got seniors everywhere, Freeman and Harwell, uh, Howell, and just, you know, I think they've been very good at doubles. They've just been solid across the board. Um, again, I, I apologize. 29, 29 I yeah, think. So how many, how many teams right now and who's out? So we uh, see he, you've, got, you've got 10, 10 in, 3 out right now. Okay, and who the, are your and 3 the, out? The three out are LSU, Arkansas, and Alabama. And, I mean, Alabama's a lost cause. They're out. Yeah, but Arkansas. LSU and Arkansas, can, they, could, they could still, you know, I don't think you're going to see 12 out of 13 get in, but they could swap spots with some of these teams, right? They could not, you know, somebody they could knock Ole Miss out. They could knock Auburn out. They could knock Mississippi State out. You know, they could knock Vandy out. You know, any of those things could happen. Those teams are both capable of getting in. They're 48 at least projected next week right now, they're 48 and 51. As of this week, they're 44 and 51. Like I said, that cut line's probably in the 43 range-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so you you know, you're a win. And LSU got that win over Ole Miss this week. You know, they're just another win like that away from being in. And the same same goes for Arkansas. And you know, I mean, Arkansas almost knocked off Kentucky at home. Mm-hmm. That is people underestimate how hard it is to play at Arkansas. The the conditions there are crazy. The fans are right on top of you. Nobody likes to go there. It's out in the middle of nowhere. From an SEC perspective, half the time it's your only match of the weekend because it's so far, you know, you're making the sole trip out there. It is a very hard place to play, and we've seen it year in, year out. 
they pull off a big win at home over somebody, whether it's Tennessee, whether it's UCF, whether, you know, whoever it is in, in or out they're you know, they're going to find a big win that I thought they had, they looked like they had it yesterday with Kentucky. They could still, they could still do that this year and put themselves right back in the conversation. I couldn't agree with you more. Again, I think the depth on this team, I, Alex Recco on the right day is the best player or as good as anyone in the SEC. And, you know, again, for them to have who plays five for them, I'm, I'm blanking here. But uh, I, I was thinking, I thought you were going to go Bukan, to Bukan. Bukan. Or at six. Bukan, Bukan at six. He's six right last yeah, it's year. A, it's ridiculous. Yeah. He beat Noah Schachter last year, who's playing one for AM. Beat yeah. Wiedemann, who was arguably the best four, you know, outside of. But, you know, Vic Nell and who maybe was better, who knows, uh, after that SEC tournament match. But, yeah, it's re- I mean, to have a guy like that at six, you think you're talking top 10 team. So, I, I mean, I think he's misplaced in the lineup, but but th- that's almost a lock for them. Yeah, they're, it's not a be- – we're not talking a doormat here, right? They are second to last in the SEC, and that, and they could jump up and beat anybody on any given day. No, it it is truly crazy, and you know, again, as you look for this team, or even beyond those teams, like A and M, Schachter and Taylor have found something at that number one double spot, and Julio Perego is as good of a freshman as you'll find across the country. He has been excellent, and just you know, again with Marson and Rollins hasn't even been healthy. Mathis Ross is playing well. Luke Casper, they've got something. They've got great depth. I still think they can make a top 16 push. Now, they'll need to beat a Kentucky, right? They'll need to earn a win like that. But that is a team that made the national indoors and I think is very good as well. You know, again, as you look across the bottom or across the lineups, I think in terms of cross-offs, the only team you can cross off with all due respect is an Alabama men's team that just has a bunch of new faces. And yeah, it's just going to be really tough for them to overcome the deficit. And now they've got to play exclusively SEC teams the rest of the way. Shout out to Coach Denton for the double headers. I think they've played four straight double headers. Like he's just like, all right, f- screw warm ups. We're going to play a team instead. Um, and yeah, I think they've got seven on the season or, or something yeah. like that. No, it's crazy. And so with all of that said, Chris, again, there are other things I want to do throughout the course of this season. Maybe we'll do coaches of the week, players of the week, talk about our matches of the week as well. But more broadly, wanted to set the scene for where things stand right now in the SEC. And again, we'll dive into all of these teams, Vanderbilt, LSU's, men's and women's, the Arkansas's, the Alabama's. We didn't do enough time on the Mississippi's today. We'll get back to you, I promise. But again, we want to provide weekly updates, provide context for all of you listeners in case you do tune in to our broadcast every Friday, which you can find on all of these teams' websites. With that said, Chris, any final thoughts on the SEC? Or are you going to save the rest of them for our Deciding Point episode tomorrow? tomorrow night, night, 7 p.m. on YouTube. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun tomorrow night. If you if you want to hear all about the SEC, in particular, you want to hear me rail on the Tennessee weekend, by all means, tune in tomorrow night. I like it. Well, then, with all of that said, a shout-out, as always, to Super Producer Daniel Westoff for the f*** of it at any job he does day in, day out, making everything possible. A shout-out to our friends at Turner Tennis as well. Remember, contact sales at uniquesports.com today to join the Turner family. With all that said, for the professor, Chris Hallior, Super Producer Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, that's the break.
It's a good guess because I had forgotten what it was as well. It's a great shot podcast. So, hey, wow. great shot. I, mean, I, I was that, guessing just because it was uh, short. Me too. I don't remember. I, I truly, I was like, oh, man, what's he going to go with? And I was like, oh, it's a GSP because we had this conversation at CRHQ today. So what do we tell our listeners, Chris? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thank you, as always, my friend. <laughs>